Hi, this is Josh, and you're listening to The Invitation. This is part two, the second episode covering my conversation with Ruth Haley Barton. In January of 2019, I spent an evening with Ruth and a group of pastors and nonprofit leaders in an extended conversation. This public event happened because of the support and encouragement of the leadership of the Dominican Center at Marywood in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it was the first installment of a new collaboration with the Dominican Center. And together we are happy with the feedback on part one of this release and so happy that we are now planning four more similar events to be scheduled with other teachers, directors, and thinkers to be scheduled next fall, winter, and spring. So again, I want to express my enormous gratitude for the Dominican Center and their support. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation with Ruth, please go back and spend some time with episode number 36 of the Invitation Podcast. So this is part two, and it is our Q&A session with Ruth. Outside the group. So sometimes this longing, this desire for more of God than we have right now, the desire for deeper levels of transformation, um, it's gonna, it might sometimes take us outside our groups. Mm. Um, but Jesus... We'll come to find us. Mm. We will encounter Jesus outside the group, and eventually, um, we might, you know, be invited back in. Mm. So, um, but you have to, you have to want it really badly. I think mm. what Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda when he marched up to him and said, "Do you really want to be made well?" In other words, how bad do you really want it? Do you want it bad enough to change your life? Mm. You know. Pulsing beneath this conversation with Ruth has been the question of translation. How can we be faithful to translate the deeper, transformative vocabulary of the Christian faith, to make it available and accessible? This journey of transformation will take some of us outside of our groups, outside of what seems safe, away from the familiarity of where we have come from, and into the solitude and wilderness of where we are going to. In part one, Ruth described how she needed to stop going to church for a time. You may be moving toward the edge of your group. In fact, you may have already landed outside and are experiencing a sense of alienation from organized religion. You may have given up on finding a worshiping community that will help you onto a path of transformation. You may have even given up on a community that will give you permission to pursue God with more intention, depth, and freedom. At the end of this Q&A with Ruth, I offer you a guided meditation for these wrestlings. Again, the Invitation Podcast is not just about thinking and talking about the ideas of faith and prayer. We're here for you to create time and space for God to actually pray. I want to note that you'll especially appreciate this episode if you're in leadership of an organization or group that is struggling to bring its mission and methods more fully into cooperation with the Holy Spirit. There are a growing number of church leaders who are discovering that they cannot attend to the challenges that face them without a deeper spiritual well to draw from. Former megachurch pastor Kent Carlson writes in his book, Reconstructing the Church, I had just finished talking and praying with a long line of people after one of our better-conceived and more powerfully performed services, and I went over and plopped down next to our creative arts pastor. We knew we had done a good job that day. From a performance perspective, we had put together a first-rate product. The artistic elements were very compelling and technically excellent. There were times when people were laughing uproariously, 
and others, when they were wiping away tears, make them laugh and make them cry in some secret church circles, is known as the Disney formula. After settling into the chair next to my arts director, I sighed and said, Wow. And with uncharacteristic dark irony, he said, You know, we don't even need God to do this. Of course, both of us knew he was speaking facetiously. Of course, we knew that our stated purpose was for building God's kingdom, not our own. And both of us knew that scripture clearly teaches that without Christ we can do nothing. But we also knew that we had carefully planned that service for exactly the result we had achieved and that we are getting quite good at it. But the fact that I remember this two-minute conversation some fifteen or so years later demonstrates that it conveyed an element of truth. And I believe it scared me. But the monster had now been created, and it needed to be fed. Many of us are coming to terms with the monstrosity of our organizations. We call them Christian organizations, but their internal workings are the workings of an ego monster that is fed by self-promotion and empty definitions of success, rather than fed, nurtured, and inspired by the love and the presence of God. In the very first episode of the Invitation Podcast, episode number one, we prayerfully considered a very difficult thing for Christians to understand, that it's quite possible that our greatest efforts to be Christians, these are the very things keeping us from God. We can continue to reinvent all kinds of creative ways to do seemingly Christian things that are, in effect, empty of transformative love, beautiful, yet still, we're banging gongs and clanging cymbals. Yet another study was published a few weeks ago reporting the decline in church attendance. This one by Gallup says that numbers are down 20% from 1999. In 1999, 70% of America attended church, and today, 20 years later, only 50% of Americans report church attendance. But Jesus came to give us abundant life. He promised that our faith, once the tiny seed planted in the ground, it will become a flourishing tree that birds come to rest in. A Christianity that lacks this abundant freedom. A Christianity that lacks a deep contemplative spirituality integrated with acts of justice. Of course, this Christianity will continue to result in what has been described as the graying of the church. That is to say that the gospel, the good news of God, come to the earth. This is the news that God is now available to us. And when God is experienced, it is an experience of freedom that manifests the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that means justice. So more of you are finding your way to the Invitation Podcast and to the Dominican Center. You're seeking out spiritual directors or anyone who's growing in a faith-filled, dynamic relationship with God. Your personal journey is the first step, but then several further steps down the road and you are wondering, what about my people? How can I get my community, 
my church, my nonprofit to join me on this path. This here is especially where Ruth Haley Barton and her Transforming Center are especially helpful for us. In this Q&A, Ruth refers often to her work on this community question. How indeed do we get the leadership of our institutions to cooperate with each other in a cooperation with the Holy Spirit? And for this help, I encourage you to look at Ruth's book, Pursuing God's Will Together, a discernment practice for groups. I wish I had had this resource to offer to the last few ministry teams I have served. I also invite you to consider the Dominican Center as a resource for your spiritual growth. At the end of this episode, I'll offer you some more insight into what the Dominican Center is and what it offers. So here at the beginning of this Q&A, one participant has just described her sense of bewilderment. She has been one of those people who has had to go outside of her group to discover God as the source of transformation in her Christian faith. Here she is asking Ruth this question of translation. How do I make this transformation available to the people I go to church with? Great question. Um, I guess the first thing I'll say is that it's in the transforming communities where I can kind of put most, if not all, of myself out there because I'm bringing people along on a journey as opposed to if they just hear me for an hour and they don't have that trust with me yet. Um, these things come out better in relationships where trust is being built and um, people know who you are. And um, so I will use words like that. And I also define my words really carefully when I use them, and I think that can be important. So I do use the word contemplative in our transforming communities. Um, but when I do, I define it really clearly so that um, for some reason there's a lot of baggage that has been assigned to the word contemplative. Um, and, I, and I don't understand why that is. It's so unnecessary. Um, but I do define all my terms really clearly when I'm teaching, and that helps. Um, because then you can use your words, but you've defined them, and you're not leaving it up to what they're, the meanings they're going to put on it. So go ahead and use your words, but define them, yeah. Um, yeah. and that will be really helpful to people, I think. I really took note of your silence and solitude and mm-hmm. how you made Elijah and Paul. Yeah. I, I will always say all the great ones of our faith practice solitude and silence. So um, it's we can the, when you can ground these things in scripture in such a way that people can have some because have some confidence that's helpful. I needed it. Like I was scared at 20 years ago um, when no one in evangelical Protestantism was talking about solitude and silence. And I think God gave me Elijah to show me that I was right in the middle of my own Christian faith, and it gave me a lot of confidence to stay on that journey. So. Um, we can do that for others, and I think it becomes a real blessing to them then because then they can get on a journey that they might not otherwise have been willing to take a step on, you know, and then they're impoverished because they didn't say yes. Um, and it, so that's part of what we can do to serve is to, this, to do this translation work and to put it in context that make it easy and possible to, not easy to receive, but possible to receive. Uh, the invitation to solitude and silence was still extremely challenging to me. The thing itself was very challenging, so I was grateful that I could come to a place of peace with it within my own uh, Protestant tradition. That helped me to be able to enter into what was already, in its essence, very challenging for someone who had been that driven up until that point. Yeah, it's a good question, really great question. Um, I am part of a faith-based nonprofit um, that's located here, but um, working all across the country. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to, um, I haven't read um, the Transforming um, the Soul of Your Leadership, but I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. could talk a little bit about um, practices that, um, as an individual, um, I've, I've done spiritual direction, um, and I've thought often about what did, what could this look like for our organization mm-hmm. um, and the leadership, particularly of our organization, as we discern where we're going and what we're doing mm-hmm. in um, the work of God that we're doing in this world. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, I would say, involved in some like social justice mm-hmm. um, work and um, 
there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of um, it's easy for burnout to happen within that. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could speak mm -hmm. speak to that. Yeah. Well, um, that is the very same question that I asked um, after the training in spiritual direction and seeing how valuable that was for me. I started asking the question, why can't discernment be done with groups and especially leadership groups? And um, I'll never forget a moment when I was speaking at a church conference somewhere and during the break, one of the associate pastors came up to me and we were talking about their problem, good problem, that they were bursting at the seams and trying to figure out whether they were going to, you know, build a building or hive off and do a daughter church or whatever, multi-site, you know, all those things. And I thought to ask him, well, does your leadership group, does your elder group have any way of discerning God's will together regarding that? And he was just um, disoriented. Um, so you could tell that he really wanted to be able to say yes, because that would be a very nice answer for a Christian to be able to say, is that yes, we do have a way of discerning God's will together. Um, and it was like that moment in Sunday school, you know, where the teacher is, is describing something that's brown and furry and, you know, flits from tree to tree. And the little kid says, well, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus, <laughs> you know, because we know what we want the answer to be. The right answer should be Jesus, right? The answer to the question of whether or not we're discerning God's will together at the leadership level, the answer should be yes. We want to say yes. But he wasn't going to lie. So he said, well, no, but we do um, begin and end our meetings with prayer. Well, at that point, I'm like, somebody should really write a book about that. You know, I didn't think it would be me because I had, a, you know, I, that felt like a very complicated topic. Well, five books later, that was the book I wrote, uh, Pursuing God's Will Together, a leadership practice or a discernment practice for leadership groups. But it's, it, the, the nut of it is in strengthening the soul of your leadership because um, so many hard things happen if we don't have a way of bringing our souls to the leadership environment and listening to the Holy Spirit lead us together. Um, and there are ways for groups to enter into it together. And so... Um, with the founding of the Transforming Center, we actually began by practicing discernment. Everything we do is discerned. And, um, and then I've worked with lots of groups, too, in helping them to cultivate uh, a community for discernment at the leadership level as opposed to just making strategic decisions. Because if we don't somehow find a way as leaders to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and to our souls in the leadership environment, then it becomes a very uh, bifurcating experience actually fragmented, unintegrated, disintegration is what happens because we leave the soul outside the boardroom. You know, we come into the boardroom and do everything out of our minds and our intellect and our strategic thinking and planning. Then we pick up our soul on the way out the door, you know, and that's not, that's, a, that's called disassociation in psychological terms where you disassociate with a part of yourself in order to do this over here, which is a very fragmenting experience. So um, I could, you know, like I speak for two and a half days sometimes on that on that question. So what specifically would you like from me relative to that question? Besides the yes, it can yeah. be done. Yeah. What yeah. else could I get? I guess I'm curious. So I, I'm a member of our leadership team mm -hmm. and I'm thinking um, our group is could certainly be very open to that, mm -hmm. but this could also, I remember I did a listening mm -hmm. prayer exercise with our group once and it was like, what just yeah. happened? Yeah. Um, and so I'm wondering if you even just have some suggestions for how do you, how do you begin that and start weaving that into like mm -hmm. we have monthly meetings and what, how do you begin weaving mm -hmm. that into people who come from different backgrounds yeah. and experiences? Well, um, first of all, I think it's a major sea change, and I want to set your expectation. Um, mm -hmm. And so for a leadership group who has been really established and doing things a certain way, mm -hmm. it could be a several-year process. So I just want to set expectation mm -hmm. um, because I think it begins with a group doing some study about discernment, the biblical nature of it, uh, how central discernment is to the Christian life. I mean, it's really the basics of the Christian life to discern God's will, both personally and together as leaders. Um, but it's, a, it's something of a conversion experience for a group that has been getting together to lead out of their heads and out of their strategic thinking and planning. And even the way that we configure our boards, we often put people on the boards who are used to doing things a certain way and who have accomplished a certain amount of success by doing things in a very secular way. Now, the only, the only meaning I'm putting to the word secular is just that there's no place for God mm. in it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's no wisdom in a secular approach to something. I'm just saying there's, there's not an intentional orientation towards God in the process. Mm. Discernment is a spiritual process guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, first of all, I think a group needs to agree together that discernment is what they want to do. 
that they want, that that's going to become their true north. That no matter what the issue is, no matter what, you know, what other guru is writing about leadership, that discerning the will of God together is what our mandate is. And we're committed to that no matter what, no matter what the issue is, that's what we're committed to. So I think that there's some foundational work that gets done there. It's teaching, it's Bible study, it's a spiritual conviction that discernment is the way that we're going to lead together now. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of work right there. Mm -hmm. Then coming out of that, I'm going to give you the big, I'll give you the big moves in it. Okay. Um, And pursuing God's will together covers all these moves in depth. Um, So there's the conviction, there's the vision and the conviction that yes, shared understanding about what it is, um, a shared conviction that this is how we want to operate. Then Romans 12, 2 is very clear that spiritual transformation is a prerequisite to discernment. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I think Paul is establishing our own transformation as prerequisite to being able to to engage in discernment. So you want to prepare leaders, each leader. Each leader needs to be on an intentional transformational journey with spiritual practices that open them to God's transforming work. Um, There are two chapters on that in the book. Then the the community needs to be prepared. How do we move from being a team that just gets together to think big thoughts and dream dreams and think hard about stuff and come up with strategic plans? How do we transition from being a team like that to becoming a community for spiritual discernment? Because community is the context for discernment. That's really clear in Paul's writings. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's four chapters on that. Um, How do we establish value? How do we establish values? Um, do we even want to be a community? If that's the context, does this group even want to be a community? Because sometimes people show up and say, now, wait a second, I agreed to serve on this board. I'm going to bring my ideas. I'm going to bring my expertise for my job at the Fortune 500 company. I'm going to deposit that in two hours a month, and that's all I signed up here to do. Mm-hmm. So whether or not the group wants to become a spiritual community and wants to define that and understand what that means and embrace it is a huge move in the process. Um, Then there's work around what are our values? Um, Because discernment is a very tender, vulnerable, open way of showing up rather than the hard driving leadership way of showing up. So what are the values that we'll establish as a group that make us safe together as a group for discernment? What are the practices associated with each value? Um, Because a value is just a nice idea unless there's practices that help us to live into it concretely. Um, And then I encourage groups to have a covenant, to actually establish a covenant that will protect their life together in community and in discernment. And then there's the practice itself, and there are moves in that. There's the prayer for indifference, prayer for wisdom, prayer of quiet trust. Um, There's all sorts of listening that goes on, and there's a lot to say about that. Um, There's the role of silence in a discernment process where um, once you've gotten the issues on the table, you give people time to be in silence, then to come back and to talk about what God's saying to them in the silence or what they're learning about themselves or what they're hearing. and then um, there might be a sage in the group or a discernmentarian or someone who, again, is well-versed in the ways of the soul, well-versed in listening, and who might say, I think this is what I'm hearing. What do you all think? I mean, that's the, the function that James had in Acts 15. He did a lot of listening and then finally stood up and said, this is what I think God is saying. He actually tied it back to the prophecy in Joel about what it would look like when the Holy Spirit came. People were able to affirm that, able to pay attention to consolation and desolation, to an experience of peace that descended upon them. Um, so there are, you know, there are real moves then. Once the, the individuals are prepared, once the community is prepared, then there are practices that you can engage in together. Mm-hmm. But I will say that two-thirds of the book and two-thirds of the process that I put forward is about preparation, mm-hmm. and only one-third is about the practice itself. Mm-hmm. Because without the preparation, it doesn't matter what practices you do, people will not be able to engage it. Um, the converse is true as well, that even without the, the, an actual practice, if people are prepared on the level I'm talking about, they will start discerning very naturally. Mm-hmm. So the preparation is actually more important than the practice. Um, so that's a mouthful, and hmm. it, I mean, there's so much to say in answer to that question. But I think the big answer is yes, it is possible mm-hmm. for groups to embrace this, but it doesn't happen by accident. And, it, and um, there's, a, there's a, a level of intentionality that needs to be brought and wisdom. Because I've also seen groups get blown up when one person is trying to push this as an agenda 
and everybody else hasn't bought in. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and people always ask me this, what happens if most of the group wants to move in a direction of discernment, but there's one or two people that are not willing? Uh, can we still do it? And the unfortunate answer to that is that even one person who's resisting can cause the group to become unsafe for those who are willing to be discerning because discernment takes us to such an open, vulnerable, soulish place. And if you've got people there who are ridiculing or diminishing the process or not valuing people's soul expressions, the expressions of what's in their souls, there can actually be damage done to individuals and to relationships. So paying attention to who's at that table and whether or not they're really willing to engage is really, really important and wise. And I would also suggest that if possible, um, the chair of the group, the person who's really looked to as the, the, the influencing leader, as the buck stops here person, um, become the person who, who either leads the process or is saying, I'm embracing this fully, we're going this direction. Because otherwise, you can get yourself at odds with the chair. You can get yourself at odds with the empowered leader, the positional leader in the room. I was going to say, have you seen um, churches or nonprofits like really embrace that? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I think leaders are just waiting mm -hmm. for something that's different than what the secular culture has to offer up. Oh, wow. I think we, we are 30, 40 years past the megachurch, the beginnings of the megachurch movement where so much of the secular wisdom informed how those were shaped. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody at the table was either a Fortune 500 executive or an attorney or, you know, whatever. And all that got brought. And spiritual people are now saying there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way to lead that's responsive to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the longing is deep. Um, and if there is a clear vision and a clear practice and process, man, oh yes, over and over again I see it. I, over and over again I see it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The question of uh, preparation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was at this church for two years, mm -hmm. three separate worship services on the same campus and lots of arms and legs to it. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, I was running around preaching or leading worship or, and I just realized we need to talk about self-mortification. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need to talk about take up your cross. <laughs> so I ended up having a sermon that's been ported into some of the stuff I do with the invitation to the podcaster. How about a nice hot cup of die to yourself? Mm -hmm. So you, from your story, from your competence, this thing was not working, it's not transformative. We've hit this, this, this American Protestant sensibilities and I know it's mm -hmm. rampant in all forms of Western culture. Uh, how does an organization, whether it's Fortune 500 mm -hmm. CEOs, that could be a literal or it could be spiritual, you know, I, I'm, I can. It's, I'm closed, I'm shut off, and I'm here to exert my will yes, on this organization. Right. And then we're gonna say, Hey, you want to stop and listen to the Spirit and be silent? And everybody's like, eh, I, I want to be productive right now. So, and when you talk about preparation, how mm -hmm. do you introduce them? Where is humility? Where is mm -hmm. emptiness? Where is surrender? Where is mm -hmm. death? That's why spiritual transformation is a prerequisite. Okay. Because you're already embracing those realities mm -hmm. because that is the spiritual journey right mm -hmm. there so mm -hmm. within an intentional spiritual journey where you're practicing the disciplines that keep us open to the transforming work of god mm -hmm. and part of that is always going to be the confrontation of the false self the deconstruction of the false mm -hmm. self that's why it won't work without the preparation because they won't have anything else to bring right. but that hard driving achievement oriented mm -hmm. got to get this done productivity because they're not they're not in touch with anything else mm -hmm. They don't have anything else to bring mm -hmm. without the spiritual preparation of an intentional journey of transformation, which is, of course, built into Romans 12, 1 and 2, when <coughs> Paul says to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, mm -hmm. which is a very harsh metaphor, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, he, what is he saying? He's saying, find a way to surrender yourself every day. Mm -hmm. Find ways to crawl up on the altar and surrender your false self and to, self, to surrender your will and mm -hmm. to surrender that with, with, within you which is um, in opposition to the will of God. Mm -hmm. that, that Romans 12, 1 and 2 process needs to be at work in all of us before we can mm -hmm. enter into discernment in any kind of productive way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just have all these false selves showing up at the table mm -hmm. trying to do discernment. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And nobody even knows that's all they're bringing. <laughs> yeah, because they don't know any different. They that's they, yeah. that's the ego mm -hmm. of our culture. Not that yeah. we need to become Buddhists is fine, but they want to get rid of the ego. Yeah. And the Christian theology is that we need to displace the ego to put Christ at the center of that and, and shape the self around that. And we just... And that's what I was saying earlier in terms of uh, at the break of as a, as a pastoral counseling, my model was to sit down and try to help this student and I'm working, I'm working, and then I'd, I'd leave and I'd be exhausted. Yes. And I didn't know if I said anything that was helpful and the whole thing was set up for me to have this gift to give them. Whereas in spiritual direction, I can do several sessions back and back to back and leave totally. Right delighted and full of enthusiasm if if i've surrendered myself and not put my ego in that place and i'm just whoa god just showed up i just can't believe and here comes another person and i'm not there to fix them i'm there to listen with them to get the ego out of the way so that's the hard thing when it comes to organizations is and, and i think this is a difficult thing for for the pastors that i work with is truly one of the most horrifying questions that you could ask many of the pastors within 10 miles of this building is what is God leading your people to right now? What is God speaking to your people? Where are you going? And to their credit, I don't, I'm just trying to get Sunday done. I'm just trying to get this. And you want me to stop and quiet myself and die to myself? And, and these people, are to keep my job, they're expecting me to, to deliver on Sunday. And so for the nonprofit as well, I, gotta, I got things to do. I got, so wait a minute. How does death of self enter into this? where everything's got to be sabotaged <laughs> and it will look very different than you thought it would, than your ego before, and it will become something that's sustainable and life-giving. And it's just, that's the, the, the law of die. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I've just ended up wearing that on my sleeve. This is what we're doing. So that's why I go to a prison because the prisoners have already died a thousand deaths and they know it. The ones that at least come to pray with me and it's so much more fun to work with them because they're so open and they're not busy yeah. self-protecting their egos. And so, so, yeah. Does anybody else have? Yeah, go for it, Sean. Ruth, I want to thank you for your books mm. and your podcast. Oh, and so I awful. feel like it's weird not having Steve here. but Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. He's ever present on the podcast. You can call him Steve instead. Yeah. But um, I'm just feeling uh, led by God to really minister to solo pastors. Mm -hmm. Being one myself yes. for 17 years and yeah. experiencing the burnout that comes right. With oh. that territory, um, I'm also in very conservative spaces. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, any advice on how to bring this uh, quiet and solitude into conservative evangelicalism? Well, you know, I feel like we've, that, you know, that's such an important question. And I feel like that's actually what we're talking about, and it's what I was talking about, and in discussing how my spiritual director approached me because those were the circles I was deeply embedded in when I was being invited into solitude and silence. And it was scary. And I remember how frightening it was. Um, and now, you know, I'm in those circles still quite a bit and speaking from with, within. Um, so I think the, tra the word translation is really important again, um, especially in the beginning. Um, well, let me back up one, one, one little bit. If people aren't ready, they're not ready, and it's not our job to make them ready. And so I, I have now come to believe that it's my job to be mm -hmm. there when they're ready, for the Transforming Center to be there when they're ready, mm -hmm. but I'm not, it's not my job to force people to be ready for something they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have been ready a minute before my early 30s to have heard the spiritual director talk to me about the fact that I was like a jar of river water all shaken up. Uh, you know, not a minute earlier would I have been ready, and that wasn't her job. It was her job to wait and be ready when I was ready. So I think that's one thing. So wh what I and what I think we can do to help people um, become ready is to encourage them to be in touch with their spiritual desire. Because if I hadn't been in touch with my desire and desperation, I wouldn't have been willing to do something that was so frightening to me. So the first step, really, is not you foisting something on them that you think is important and that you have found meaningful your job could be to talk about desire. So Sacred Rhythms, which is, you know, Sacred Rhythms is the most basic book of what I've written. 
it starts with desire and it starts so biblically. You start with the most asked question that Jesus asked in his time here on this earth. Some version of the question, what do you want me to do for you? Mm -hmm. You see if you can help people sit mm -hmm. in those stories and imagine themselves with Jesus and imagine Jesus asking them that question and create space. You talk about your own desire so they get comfortable with the language of desire and the dynamic of desire. Um, once people start hearing you talk about your desire, they're going to say, wow, I have desires too, but I never thought it was okay to talk about them. And there's our pastor talking about desire. Mm. Um, and if you start there, then eventually there will be desire for the gifts that come beyond the preaching and the teaching and the th thinking and the activism and the noise and all of that. Um, they might be able to acknowledge, even with all that, there's an emptiness inside. Um, and then you might be able to come at that right moment and say, um, there's, there are practices for just such a time as this. When the words have run out, when we're tired of it being so noisy, when we no longer need or want the stimulation, when we, when we acknowledge that the transformation is not happening through more sermons and more Bible studies, then they might be ready to be still and know that I am God. Mm. They might be willing to say to God, in silence my soul waits for you and you alone, O God, from you alone come my salvation. Because it come from any place else except the silent waiting for God. And keep it biblical. That's the thing. Don't throw the word contemplative at them. They can't take it, you know, and, and there's no reason to use it because there's other words. Later on, we'll use it with people who can hear it. But now, talk about Jesus going to the solitary place. Talk about Jesus inviting his disciples to come away and rest with me a while. Talk about Paul getting knocked off his horse and sitting blind for three days in silence and darkness. Talk about Elijah leaving his life in the company of others and going into the wilderness to meet God. Talk about Moses going up to the mountain and waiting until he got a word from the Lord. Keep it right there in the scriptures. It's not, you can't ignore it. It's a theme. And only do it when they're ready. Your job is to talk about desire, create space, hmm. see what happens. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through you mm -hmm. as you do that. Great question, lovely. I think for my journey, it's been settling into it to a point where I haven't a familiarity with it so that when you look at the scriptures, you just find it everywhere. Before, you're like, I don't really know how to translate this. But the more you settle into it, it's just... It's there. It's everywhere. It's there. And it is at the, the core of the gospel. And I believe that's the reason why so many of the millennials, we keep seeing these reports every month of another saying that all these people leaving the organized religion and why? We're famished for sacredness. So once we, we rediscover the gospel through the paradigm of brokenness, emptiness, being filled, it's, it's throughout the scriptures. But I did, I did lose my patience at the church that I was serving, and I was like, I'm going to go hang out in the prison. So uh, that's more fun, and I don't get the paycheck. But um, So I feel that ache for people that are still there. And I also get why a lot of people have decided I'm done. I have a lot of compassion and patience for understanding, or I'm gonna to move to another um, theology. I, I have a lot of compassion for that. So thanks for your question, Shonda. Did you have one? I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, um, I lead a, a nonprofit ministry here in town that's a, a local expression of an international movement mm -hmm. uh, around prayer, mission, and justice. Mm -hmm. Um, and similar to her question, uh, we're kind of in our fourth year or so of basically implementing the, mm -hmm. the content from the Pursuing God's Will oh, Together good. book. That's great. That's um, a good connection right there. Yeah. So it's been a really good process, mm -hmm. really challenging. There you go. There <laughs> <laughs> it is moving. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and as a result, we have some big changes, uh, transitions happening right now even. Um, and so uh, one of the questions that I, I thought of was, I'm, I'm, we basically have our, almost our whole board turnover. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so yep. um, I'm now tasked with uh, in, putting out invitations to who, mm -hmm. who should be on this board now. Yeah. Um, 
uh, currently our, our chair is uh, actually our chair and two other kind of interim members are part of your transforming community. Oh. So I'm in good company there. Good, good. <laughs> um, but I, I wondered if you had any any just advice around that process. So just thinking through who, what kind of people to invite onto uh, a nonprofit board like that mm -hmm. um, to influence uh, decisions going forward, and yeah. and and yeah, how to how to yeah, just think about that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, oh, um, well, I'll just tell you our little secret, which probably won't work for you, but. Um, <laughs> So no one can come onto our board without having been to a transform through the transforming community, and usually more than once, because for us that is um, the novitiate, mm. if you will. I mean, it's the a two years of a covenant relating, and an intentional commitment to our shared journeys, where um, we know that the spiritual preparation of the leader has happened, and that they're that they can be ready, and we can be watchful and see how they're interacting in the group. So I, I say that because it could be part of a board orientation process that you could mm -hmm. either, um, it can become a prerequisite that you have a process whereby you can guide three people into an intentional journey of transformation and um, witness and observe that they would be able to discern well with a, with a group of people. Or you could have something like a transforming community experience or something else that um, gets them on an intentional spiritual journey because people who are on this kind of an intentional spiritual journey, they will be discerners, even if you don't call it that, you know, they become more in touch with spirit, right? I mean, you know, and you can tell, um, or you can, um, this is another thing I suggest that the board, your board engages in an intentional process of transformation that you choose people who are willing. You say, mm -hmm. um, part of what we're asking you to do and to be is to be a discerner. Like our, our number one priority is to discern God's will and direction for this not-for-profit. Um, this is what it looks like to discern. Do you Are you willing to participate in a process like this? Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is that we are a spiritual community. We're intentionally cultivating ourselves as, as a spiritual community, which means that we're attending to our own journeys. And you know, people will use sacred rhythms as that part. Um, where you're actually working through so something like that, a resource like that together, either Sacred Rhythms or Life Together in Christ would work really well, um, where you've got a part of your board development, part of your board agenda, if you will, is that you are attending to your spiritual journeys and experiencing spiritual practices that prepare you spiritually to do the work of discernment, and that that just becomes a part of what you do. Um, and you could you could have that be a part of of your board meetings, or you can have it be a retreat rhythm where you have a couple of retreats a year, but there's a, a that's a part of what you're offering even, and and it could even be seen for some people as being a benefit. Wow, if I serve mm -hmm. on this board, I get yeah. to engage yeah. in a process of transformation. You guys are doing that together? Well, sign me up. Mm -hmm. And I've had a dream that if, if elder groups and boards and leadership groups were seen as being communities of transformation, that people would actually say, rather than saying, no, I don't have time for that, they'd say, well, that's what I want. So yeah, I want to be on your board if it means I'm going to get to do some of that. Um, sure. If it means I'm, I'm going to be able to have a spiritual community where we're attending to our spiritual journeys and practicing some of the spiritual disciplines and being resourced spiritually, as well as offering our, our gifts to the group. So those, are, those would be some suggestions. So I... I feel like if a person is on, I think the most important thing is that people are on an intentional spiritual journey. They can learn the discernment part. Um, it's whether or not they are able and willing and committed to an intentional rhythm of spiritual practices that keep them open to God. That's the most important thing. You can teach them to discernment stuff. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Does it resonate with you? It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Uh -huh. Part of me, part of me, uh, wonders how I'm always kind of asking like how much should I expect in that place how much mm -hmm. of the translating should I need to expect to do of this stuff or mm -hmm. how where are they in, the, in that process um, but that's helpful yeah, yeah I mean I think you can, you could even share like if are you guys using the book pursuing God's will together is that what you're saying mm-hmm mm -hmm. Well, so you could share that book with a potential board candidate and have that be a basis for discussion and actually see how comfortable are they with this language? How mm -hmm. comfortable are they with this 
the spiritual journey? Where are they at with the spiritual practices? How do they respond to the idea of discerning together? Um, and that could be a part of your recruitment process. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm interchanging more corporate words with more spiritual words, mm -hmm. but they both work for me. Because mm -hmm. um, you are recruiting, or you could pick a better word, but mm -hmm. um, it could be part of your recruitment. Yeah, that, that would be really helpful, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I'm realizing is you have this, this uh, reach to new people that are being translated into this mm -hmm. yes. part of your writing, but then you also have this reach to leaders, and the and the, the training, and the, it's no no mistake that we have pastors and nonprofit leaders mm -hmm. here. So there's a, a gambit here. So you've got a large and you've got an organization behind you to help facilitate that. As we close, is there like a final thought that you could? We've talked a lot about translation tonight. Is there any inspiration you have a thought of? Is there a, a person that has modeled the work of translation? Or is there a part of scripture? Is there, is there some inspiration that you could leave us with? When you think about this challenge, you've probably been dogged by the, the dogma police. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, and your, your life, and you're thinking, well, I'm still going to keep doing this. Mm. What inspires you to keep doing what you're doing? Just because I want God more than anything, mm -hmm. so we have to. We just have to stay in touch with desire. I think desire is everything. Okay. Um, when you can stay in touch with your deep, true spiritual desire, it will guide you. Um, it is trustworthy. God puts these desire puts desires in us that He longs to meet. It might take you outside the group. So John nine is one of my favorite stories because you know the blind man has to stand for what he knows. He has to stand for what he's experiencing with Jesus. And it puts him outside the group for a while. Mm -hmm. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to get all involved with your theological discussions. I know one thing and one thing alone. Once I was blind, and now I can see. Mm -hmm. And they put him out. They did. They put him out for a while. But guess what? Jesus came and met him outside the group. So sometimes this longing, this desire for more of God than we have right now, the desire for deeper levels of transformation, um, it's gonna, it might sometimes take us outside our groups, mm. um, but Jesus will come to find us. Mm. We will encounter Jesus outside the group, and eventually um, we might, you know, be invited back in. Mm. So, um, but you have, to, you have to want it really badly, I think. Mm. What Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda when he marched up to him and said, do you really want to be made well? In other words, how bad do you really want it? Do you want it bad enough to change your life, mm. you know? Um, so how bad do you want God? Mm. That's how bad do you want transformation? Mm. Um, how bad do you want a, a sustainable life? You've got to really want it. Um, and if you really want it, then God will meet you there mm. and your path will unfold. And I would also say do something before you do everything. Mm -hmm. Don't try to change everything about your life all at once. Um, do the one thing, the one next thing that you can do, and God will meet you there and guide you into the next and the next and the next. That's how the journey unfolds. There's been no plan at all for my journey. No plan at all. Just taking every next step that's clear. That's all. Ruth Haley Barton, thank you for your time and your friendship. Thanks for a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you, all of you. Amen. Thank you. So let's turn to the Holy Spirit for help with our discernment. Do you want this? Do you want a sustainable life? Jesus describes this as abundant life. He says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. And how badly do you want it? Here at the end of this Q&A, Ruth is invoking our desires, our intentions to cooperate with the Spirit in our journey of transformation. 
even if there is a small spark of inspiration, notice your intention. Give thanks for it. And ask God to increase your desire. Consider that it takes God to get more God. We can't grow by our own intention. It's the Holy Spirit that nurtures desire inside of us. The Spirit is our true spiritual director. It's the Spirit that is creating time and space for God. And what we are doing is cooperating with God. So we must start by asking the Spirit to give us more desire. Some of us have chosen the vocabulary of contemplation to describe this as our wordless yes to God. Yet, of course, we can notice the inner movements of God and many other ways in corporate or private worship. Here is our encouragement. Ruth has said, Do something before you do everything. So I invite you to consider, how are you already saying yes to God's transformative love in your heart? And now, of course, the next question is, what is that next something you want to attempt with God? What is the next step the Spirit is inviting you to practice? Now, for those of you who are moving out of your group, those of you who don't know how to share in this journey with others, consider that while your immediate community may not understand where the Spirit is leading you, there have been many people of faith who have gone before you. You are not alone. Throughout the history of the Church, the Spirit has called individuals into the desert. God will always work through the church. He will work through other people. But there are times for us to go away, to flee into solitude. While we can deeply share ourselves with each other in fellowship, there are parts of you that only God can know. Moving ahead is both acknowledging how others cannot go with you while also forgiving their inability. We accept what and who we are leaving and forgiving these things, these people and former ways of praying, forgiving them for not being able to help us to go deeper into God. Meister Eckhart wrote, God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of subtraction. What does that mean? We've spent most of our lives going to our many schools, adding ideas and information. But now, before God, there is a love and goodness that comes by surrender, weakness, and by way of unknowing. The former is about our abilities, our performance, our feeble attempts at earning God's love. The latter is about emptying ourselves and receiving love. So what is the Spirit calling you to surrender? What are you being invited to let go of? What ideas about yourself what ideas about God and others.
What ways of praying and serving God do you need to let go of? Jesus teaches about this way of unknowing in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The Spirit is given to clean and to prune us. What is being pruned in you? And going deeper, do you trust the gardener to prune you? What are you learning about trusting God? I invite you to talk to Jesus about these things. So, of course, a large thanks is due to Ruth Haley Barton for joining us in a prayerful conversation and teaching. Please do consider her books and other resources that are detailed for us at the website transformingcenter.org. And the Dominican Center here in Grand Rapids is also a rich resource for your spiritual formation. To learn more about the Dominican Center, please visit dominicancenter.com. And I invite you to look specifically for the web pages on the Spirituality Center. There you will see the Dominican Sisters of Grand Rapids have a 34-acre property that not only serves as their home and worship space, but is also a conference and retreat facility as well. You can download a PDF catalog that lists all of the classes and learning programs available from the weekend retreats and workshops to a two-year certification in spiritual companionship or in spiritual direction. And if you've not visited invitationpodcast.org, please do so and have a look around and subscribe to our newsletter so you can get updates when new podcast episodes are available and when new invitation classes and retreats are available as well. As always, I want to communicate to you that I know it is an honor and a delight to serve you through the Invitation Podcast This podcast continues to grow into a real community that allows me to meet new people in places like Oklahoma, Puerto Rico, and just this morning I served someone in the United Arab Emirates in spiritual direction through Skype. 
I truly do not want to just pump out more content into the vacuum of the internet. My desire here is to serve real people in real places. So I do love hearing from you. Please shoot me an email and say hello. That's at josh at invitationpodcast.org. Let me know how the invitation is of help. Give me some sort of feedback. And if you're a regular listener, please help the invitation financially. You can submit donations on our website. Thanks for your friendship and your support. So until next time, know that the Lord has set the godly apart for himself. He desires you in ways you cannot yet ask or imagine. Amen. Amen.